You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Falado on Football here on the Big Blue View Radio Network. I am the host of this show, Nicholas Falado, and it is draft week. It has come. It has gone. And I'm going to be going over all these teams' drafts in the coming weeks, breaking it down by division and having a bit of fun with it. But this episode is specific to your beloved and my loved New York football giants who had a fantastic draft went in and we actually saw a couple right turns on NASCAR races right here with the trade backs that Dave Gettleman executed something that not a lot of people expected and through nine NFL drafts now he has two trade backs but previous to this year he had zero so this was an excellent turn of events for the New York Giants and look Big Blue ended up getting some quality key pieces that can really help this 2021 New York Giants team get to that next level and possibly win this NFC East which is more than likely going to be a little bit better than the putrid division that we witnessed last season with a healthy Dak Prescott another year of Ron Rivera being the head coach of the football team and the Eagles I'm pretty sure are going to be a train wreck albeit I really like what they did in this draft adding Devonta Smith jumping the Giants and doing so and then getting that Landon Dickerson in the second round a really talented offensive guard from Alabama doubling down on Alabama guys especially if Dickerson can stay healthy but let's go through what I was feeling through this 2021 NFL draft in the first round, we start to see these picks materialize, right? Jamar Chase goes to five, or like, all right, a wide receiver. Then Jalen Waddle to six, which is something that I expected was going to happen. Pair him back up with Tua Dungavailoa, just an incredibly explosive athlete. And now you have two of them with Will Fuller coming over from the Houston Texans. So that Miami offense is going to be really, really high-powered if Tua Tungabailoa can figure it out. Then we had Penne Sewell come off the board at seven. And then at eight, J.C. Horn to South Carolina. That's when I was like, hmm, I know the Dallas Cowboys really liked J.C. Horn, but now he's off the board. So they're more than likely going to get Pat Sertan. And then Pat Sertan comes off the board to the Denver Broncos at nine, and the Dallas Cowboys trade back with the Philadelphia Eagles, giving the Eagles the opportunity to jump the Giants to select Devonta Smith. Everybody knew the Giants loved Devonta Smith, the 2020 Heisman Trophy winner, the technically sound wide receiver who's a great athlete who attacks the football in an excellent manner and kudos to Howie Roseman for being opportunistic trading inside the division with the Dallas Cowboys and getting rid of a third round pick to be able to jump the Giants to draft Devonta Smith and if that doesn't happen I'm pretty sure the Giants sit there at 11 and select Devonta Smith and add a really talented playmaker to their offense but instead Dave Gettleman got put on his toes the Giants got backed up into a corner and they got on the phone with Ryan Pace who they were talking to before this pick, it, it even got to this pick. They were talking to him that if Justin Fields slide, they might trade back depending on who's on the board. And luckily for the New York Giants, Ryan Pace and the Bears wanted to do business. The Giants were able to get a five this year, a four next year, and then the Chicago Bears number one overall draft pick next season, which could be a top 10 pick. I mean, Justin Fields is no sure bet in his rookie season and Andy Dalton is their starter. 
<laughs> Think about that for a second. I mean, yeah, their defense is solid, but Chuck Pagano retired. And then you have Matt Nagy, who's on the hot seat, and they're in a division that has Aaron Rodgers, the Vikings with Mike Zimmer, which is a good team, and then the Lions, who shouldn't be that great if we're going to be real. But yeah, they made the playoffs last year, but they could regress. And I'm honestly hoping they do, because that would be excellent for the New York Giants. But the Giants end up dropping down to 20. And then Micah Parsons, Rashawn Slater, Elijah Vera Tucker, Mac Jones, Zayvon Collins, Alex Leatherwood, Jalen Phillips, my number one edge, and Jamin Davis come off the board, and the Giants are sitting there at 20. And I was expecting them to go edge here. Possibly Aziz Ojolari, who was had a knee issue, and obviously the Giants end up drafting at 50 in the second round after another trade down. Or maybe even Quiddy Pay, the edge rusher from the University of Michigan, but they go with the explosive playmaker out of the University of Florida, Kadarius Toney, and I really like this pick, and the more you watch a Kadarius Toney, the more you see just unique similarities to running backs kind of like Alvin Kamara. Now, I'm not making that comp because that's a very aggressive comp, but what I mean is Tony isn't the biggest guy. He's six foot, 193 pounds, but he has unique contact bounds. And defenders just tend to slide right off him when they attempt to bring him down. He really just runs really low to the ground behind his pads. And if you don't hit him low and trip him up at his feet, he might break your tackles. He's incredibly elusive and incredibly slippery. His release package off the line of scrimmage is a little bit raw. He he didn't have to face that much press coverage. So Jason Garrett's going to have to do a good job getting him off the line of scrimmage, using him in stacks and bunches, giving him free releases, and then using him in pre-snap motion. That's going to be key, and it's something that Jason Garrett did not do enough of in 2020. You have to use this guy on pre-snap motions, change the defensive assignments right before the snap to cause confusion and lead to blown coverages. That's something that we must see from this offense using a player like Kadarius Toney, because now the Giants have a bunch of weapons and I love it it's a good problem to have but you have to figure out a smart way to use them all and not waste their talents because look you have Kenny Galladay as your ex you have Darius Slayton as your possible Z you have Sterling Shepard in the slot and then you have this gadget type of player Darius Tony, who you can also align in the backfield you can give him the football you can use him on jet sweeps you can use him as a running back and then he's going to also be a key part of the special teams presumably so Darius Tony, it's a I don't want to say it's a luxury pick because the Giants put a huge, huge priority on adding offensive playmakers to surround Daniel Jones with talent because they acknowledged in 2020 that they did not have that. And maybe that's one reason why we saw such a vanilla offense from Jason Garrett. But you know what? Jason Garrett, he may change his offense a little bit, and I really hope he does, but he's still going to run these Y-stick option plays. He's still going to run some spacing concepts, and I believe Kyle Rudolph is going to be an excellent upgrade over someone like Evan Ingram on those specific plays but you also should find a way to utilize Evan Ingram because he can be a weapon if utilized correctly it's all about utilization here and we need Jason Garrett as people who cover the Giants people who like the Giants people who follow the Giants Giants fans we need Jason Garrett to figure that out I love the power gap system I think with the healthy Saquon Barkley you're adding an explosive back with a defined hole that he can hit aggressively and it kind of removes the indecisiveness that we've seen from Saquon Barkley on film in the past when he has one defined hole and he just allows his blocks to materialize and then he has to make one man miss in the alley that's Saquon Barkley right there and I really think he can thrive in Jason Garrett's rushing system especially if this offensive line continues to take steps forward but you add Kadarius Tony into this and you just have explosive weapons there's no more rolling out CJ board and Damian Ratley, and even Austin Mack, a player that I liked, but not a player that is going to be a huge difference maker on your offense. So adding Kadarius Tony at 20, I think is a low-key, good move by the New York football giants, especially when you consider what happened 
in the second round. And that's when it gets really, really fun because I was a little worried going into the second round because four of the last five picks in the first round were edge rushers. Peyton Turner went off the board at 28 to the Saints. He's a talented, long edge rusher out of the University of Houston. Then we had Gregory Rousseau out of Miami go to Buffalo at 30. Jason Owa out of Penn State or Odafi Owa, which is what he's going by right now, went to Baltimore at 31. And then Joe Tryon out of Washington was the last pick in the first round, heading to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a talented edge rusher who opted out of the 2020 season, who was very long and an athletic player with a lot of upside. So I'm sitting there thinking, there's no way Aziz Ojolari is going to last. And he was my number two ranked edge in this pre-draft process. And I really do like the player and I'm about to get into him here. And the Giants, we see then pick up an extra third-round pick in the 2022 draft when they traded down from 42 to 50 with the Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins selected offensive tackle out of Notre Dame, Liam Eichenberg. So with these two trade down, the Giants get a fourth-round pick, a first-round pick, and a third-round pick in the 2022 draft, a draft that presumably the Giants are going to have a lot more information on a lot of these players because they weren't able to have a lot of face-to-face meetings with a lot of these guys. That's why they end up going out there a lot of senior bowl guys. I mean, Dave Gettleman tends to favor senior bowl players anyway, but a lot of these players they ended up drafting were all senior bowl guys, except for really Aziz Ojolari and Gary Brightwell, who was a senior. But Kadarius Toney, senior bowl. Aaron Robinson, senior bowl. Ellerson Smith, senior bowl. Rodarius Williams, senior bowl. And I'm sure they're going to bring in some undrafted guys who were senior bowl if there's a lot that ended up being undrafted. Because if we're going to be honest, I'm pretty sure the majority of players who went to the senior bowl probably ended up getting drafted because teams had a lot more information on them. Unless the information wasn't good, then they didn't get drafted. But anyways, back to the draft. Aziz Ojolari is now available at pick 50, and the Giants make that selection. And I absolutely love this pick. And Dave Gettleman came out and he insinuated that There were some offensive guards that came off the board that were going to be in play at 50, but Chris Pettit said that Ojolari was the number one target, so I actually kind of believe there was going to be a discussion, but the San Francisco 49ers traded up to jump the Giants, and they presumably jumped the Giants, to select Aaron Banks out of Notre Dame, and I think that was going to be a conversation. I think maybe Dave Gettleman thought that they could land a player like Aaron Banks with the trade down, but San Francisco ended up nabbing him, and I think the Giants might have been interested in someone like Landon Dickerson, but the injuries probably pushed him down too much. I mean, he he just has too extensive of an injury history. He ended up going at 37 anyways, but getting Aziz Ojolari at 50, somebody who has the knee injury that dates back to high school, but Dr. James Andrews checks his knee out. He said that everything is fine on that front. And getting this guy, he's the perfect player for the Patrick Graham system because he can drop in coverage. He's fluid enough to do that, like we saw Kyler Fackrell do last year. He's also a really good run defender. Doesn't necessarily get the credit for it because he's six foot two, yet he has 34 and a half inch arms, which is a huge advantage if you ask me because he has the natural leverage of being lower to the ground, yet he has the pass rushing moves and the ability to keep his chest clean with the length that he has. He has the length of a six foot six player. He has longer arms considerably than Ellerson Smith, who's six foot six, almost six foot seven. So that's great for Aziz. But I love the physicality he brings in the rushing game. I love how he uses his hands, how he gets his hands inside, how he dictates the rep and how he sets the edge and I also love how he takes on pulling blockers in the power gap system he really restricts the b gap and really really just takes it on aggressively and attacks I love that kind of mentality he's very very tough competitively and then there's pass rushing look he could still develop 
more pass rushing moves that he could employ, and I think he needs to probably get more counter moves as well, or at least get to his counter moves quicker once his first move doesn't work. But he has one move, and it's the bread and butter move, and that's a stab with the inside arm and a violent chop with his outside arm with the dip of the inside shoulder, because he has a quick first three steps. He uses that well. I don't believe he bends all that well, to be honest. He's not the most flexible in his lower half, but he can bend through contact, and he can get those hips swiveled around and cornered and then angled towards the quarterback in the pocket. Seen him do that. It's not his best trade. It's not an elite trade, but that one pass rushing move is dangerous. And he wins outside. And if he could develop some inside counter moves off of that, he's going to get offensive tackles in the NFL to overcompensate for that devastating outside move, which is going to allow an inside rushing lane. And that's going to be really good. If you throw that move at an offensive tackle, you start winning with it a little bit, or you just start putting a little bit of stress on offensive tackles, that's going to set up some unique blitzes, twists, and stunts, especially if you can get that tackle out on an island and occupy that same side guard with a three technique or something like that. I just think you can get really creative with it, but I think the addition of Aziz Ojolari is very, very exciting, and it's great that they got him at 50, and honestly, if the Giants got Aziz Ojolari at 20 and then Kadarius Toney at 50, that would have been excellent, but in reality, Kadarius Toney wasn't getting out of the first round. I mean, Urban Meyer almost said as much. He said that he really targeted Kadarius Toney and he alluded to possibly drafting Kadarius Toney over a Travis Etienne at 25 if he was around, but the Giants were able to get him five picks earlier. And I think this was a really, really effective and good one-two punch at two positions of need. You can argue that the wide receiver isn't necessarily a position of need, but I don't think Sterling Shepard's going to be around past this season. And Darius Slayton, after this season, only has one more year left on his deal. And they wanted to add explosive play makers now again i i can i can see where people would say it's not a need but you want to add explosiveness to this offense and Kadarius tony's going to give you that explosiveness that acceleration that ability to make guys miss and just easy design touches that should pick up four yards which is either jet sweeps or little dump offs bubble screens you can get really creative i just hope that jason garrett does that and that's something that we'll see but love these first two picks and before we go over the rest of this draft let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors vacations can be tricky you already know how to book flights and hotels but now the only thing you're missing is you know the actual travel experience because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home you need a tool to get the most out of your time away that's where viator steps in You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. The Giants had the 76th pick in this draft, and they traded down twice, which was great. But they ended up trading up 
in the third round. And they ended up trading up to get Aaron Robinson, a senior bowl guy out of UCF. He's a cornerback who has a lot of time in the slot, can play the boundary, can play the star position, which is a hybrid safety type of linebacker who aligns in the box, which we've seen Jabril Peppers play. We've seen several players, Logan Ryan play it sometimes, even Julian Love, if we're going to go back a little bit. But the Giants believe Aaron Robinson can do that. And he did it at UCF because he's such a good run defender. And I really ended up liking this pick. Now, they traded that fifth round pick that they acquired in the first round trade to move up from 76 to 71. But landing Aaron Robinson and investing in the secondary is huge because we saw the liabilities that was... Isaac Yidem and Ryan Lewis last year. And yeah, the Giants still have Darnay Holmes, and I believe Darnay Holmes and Aaron Robinson are going to have a heated camp battle. And I believe Aaron Robinson might actually be the better fit because he's just so adept in press alignment, and he did it so frequently at the University of Central Florida. And I think that's what Patrick Graham wants to do. We saw so much cover three, so much middle of the field closed zone concepts last year. I believe that the Giants want to play more man coverage. They couldn't do it last year because of their personnel. Isaac Yadam was getting beat on those crossers in week one against Pittsburgh, and the Giants had to make a hard pivot to a much more zone-based scheme, and then that truncated offseason to where they really couldn't get the systems that they wanted put in, and they ended up just transitioning to much more zone, and it worked, and they still can do that if man coverage doesn't work, but adding a Dory Jackson and Aaron Robinson allows you to line up in a press alignment and run a lot more man coverage because Aaron Robinson is incredibly fluid in his lower half. When he transitions, he doesn't pop up. He doesn't lose any speed. There's no hitch. It's just very, very fluid, and he stays low, maintains that low center of gravity, and he's just so good clicking and closing, coming downhill and playing through the catch point. Very, very aggressive. I really think what Aaron Robinson can offer this defense is unique, and he can be an upgrade over a rookie last year that was really, really good, and I really, really like it, Darnay Holmes, but I still believe this kid can be an upgrade, and that's why they ended up trading up. Now, I think the The elephant in the room that a lot of people want to talk about is the lack of investment in the offensive line. And I think the Giants would have invested in the offensive line if the picks were right. If Ben Suell fell to 11, which he wasn't going to, possibly if Aziz Ojolari was off the board and the Aaron Banks of the world were still on the board when the Giants were picking in the second round. But they didn't go in this direction and they considered Aaron Robinson somebody that was just way too high on their board to, to let go to a team like the Cowboys who were picking at 75 or the... Minnesota Vikings who ended up trading up to get Benjamin St. Juiced if the Vikings would have been interested in that kind of player. So they targeted him and they traded up to secure that draft pick. And I have respect for that kind of aggressiveness, especially when they showed their propensity to trade back twice prior to this. It just shows that they know the players that they want to put in their system. But as for the offensive line, I mean, here they could have drafted someone like Wyatt Davis, who ended up going 86. He's the Ohio State offensive guard. They could have drafted Ben Cleveland, who went 94th out of the University of Georgia, a mountain of a man who is really, really good inside using just pure strength. I mean, a lot of people, I think, call him the mountain from Game of Thrones because he's just gigantic. But the Giants didn't go in that direction. They have a lot of faith in the development that this coaching staff with Rob Sale, with Freddie Kitchens, with all of these SEC guys that they have in in Jason Garrett's offensive scheme, they have a lot of faith that they can be developed on the offensive line. Just being in a stable environment, I think, will give the Giants an upper hand of what they had last year because obviously Mark Colombo and Joe Judge didn't see eye to eye. Mark Colombo gets fired halfway through the season. There's some kind of altercation between Joe Judge and Mark Colombo. That's not a great situation to be in. Now you have a trusted coach, somebody that Joe Judge approves of, 
that may be able to unlock some of these guys. I still have my reservations about the offensive line. I think it's very fair to have your reservations about the offensive line because you're relying on positive progression from every single one of your players because none of them are proven after you shipped Kevin Zeitler out of town. Nick Gates has one year at center and he looked solid. Could that regress? Yes. Andrew Thomas has a half a season towards the end of the year where he looked competent and where he looked like a solid NFL tackle. Could that regress? Absolutely. Shane Lemieux was a liability in pass protection. There's no other way to say. Was he a good run blocker? Yes, he was. I approve of everything I saw from him in the power gap system as a backside puller, and he showed athletic ability doing that. But there are some athletic limitations and length limitations as a pass protector, and it really came up a lot, especially right off the snap, and that's just something that can't consistently happen. Matt Parrott, that's still a question mark, and then Will Hernandez had a good rookie season in 2018, but has a lot of subpar tape since then. So the Giants are really relying on this coaching staff to maximize these guys who haven't necessarily proven anything yet in the NFL in terms of being long-term options. So there's a lot of hoping here. There's a lot of kind of crossing your fingers and being You could say cautiously optimistic, but if it fails, should we be surprised? No, I think you would look back and be like, yeah, maybe the Giants should have looked at investing in the offensive line, but I don't want to sit here and knock the Giants because the Giants ended up getting three really good football players here in Kadarius Toney, in Aaron Robinson, and in Aziz Ojolari. And the cards just didn't fall in line for them to select a offensive guard or an offensive center at the right time in the draft and they went with the best player on their board and I respect that but I don't understand why a lot of people are saying that there shouldn't be concern I think there definitely should be concern along the offensive line doesn't mean it's going to fail everyone could progress and that would be amazing I really hope that happens but I do see reasons for concern and I don't think it's unreasonable to acknowledge them anyways though Aaron Robinson, love that pick, and I just love the fact that the Giants put such a high precedent on secondary pieces who tackle, who come up and run support, and who are aggressive. And Aaron Robinson and their sixth-round pick, 201st overall, Darius Williams, Greedy Williams' older brother, both love to tackle. And me, I'm huge with secondary players who tackle. Remember C.J. Henderson was drafted in the top 10 last year out of the University of Florida. Guy can man cover for days didn't want to tackle, wasn't interested in tackling. And I personally don't like that. Honestly, Rodarius's brother, Greedy, ended up being a second-round pick to the Cleveland Browns. Doesn't really like to tackle. He was drafted back in 2019. In LSU, he didn't really tackle that much. And I that, that's a big pet peeve of mine. So the fact that Aaron Robinson is going to stick you, the fact that Rodarius Williams is going to wrap you up and drive you to the ground, Darnay Holmes does the same thing. Love to see that. But let's transition to day three, the fourth round, where I look at the Giants and I say, hey, if there is going to be one position group they're going to double down on, it has to be the edge position. And they end up doing that at pick 116. They went with Aziz Ojolari at pick 50, and then at 116 in the fourth round, they get Ellerson Smith out of Northern Iowa. And I really like this selection as well. I didn't know anything about Ellerson Smith going into the Senior Bowl. He didn't play in 2020 because he attended Northern Iowa and their football was canceled and moved to the spring. So he goes down there. And I'm like, whoa, who's this number 47 out there just balling out, just shooting interior gaps in team drills, getting horizontal, keeping his chest clean, maintaining a low center of gravity when he gets to pin his ears back and go forward while showing really active hands and stringing pass rush moves together, not only in one-on-ones, but in team drills, which is more important because one-on-ones are designed for defenders to have success when it comes to the edge and the offensive lineman in the stack drill, not always in the stack drill, but especially in the pass rushing drill because there's no help. And the offensive line is a unit. You're not usually on an island. But in the team drills, he looked really, really effective against the run in terms of penetration 
And as a pass rusher, I really loved what I saw. And then he went to his pro day, and my, he just absolutely balled out at his pro day. I mean, he had, what, a 41 and a half vertical jump, 127 inch broad jump. That's 98th and 94th percentile, respectively, for the edge position at six foot six, 252 pounds with an 82 and 7 eighth inch wingspan, which is 85th percentile. I mean, that's incredible right there. That's incredible lower body explosiveness. His 10 yard split was 1.6, which is 81st percentile. He has 10 and a half inch hands. I mean, his measurables and his testing ended up just being eye-popping. I didn't expect this from a kid from Northern Iowa who was drafted, or who was recruited, I should say, to be a tight end. He was recruited to be a tight end, and he added like 60 pounds onto his frame and yet still maintained this unique athletic ability. That can't be teached right there whatsoever. And I love his initial quickness. I love his first three steps. I love how he uses his hands, strings, moves together, goes to counter moves, seems to have a pass rush plan. It's more refined than you would expect. And you may be asking yourself, man, this guy sounds like an excellent pass rusher. Why the heck did he fall to day three? Well, because he played at UNI, and while he was really productive at UNI, and that's all well and good, and you'll love that, he wasn't the best run defender. A lot of offensive linemen can get underneath his pads, raise that center of gravity, make it high, and then his doesn't really have a lot of sand in his ass. He kind of gets pushed off the edge, doesn't set it as well as you would like to. So that's something that he's going to have to improve on. He needs to get better with his play strength and with his ability to kind of anchor down, sink his pad level, and keep a nice base and not allow himself to kind of get bullied off the line of scrimmage by bigger, stronger offensive linemen or just linemen who play with better leverage and have better technique and get their hands inside and just rise him because that's one area that's a little iffy with him. So I don't think he's going to be a full-time starter this year. I think he's going to ingratiate himself into the lineup in a pass-rushing role, and I really think he's going to be fun to watch on stunts and twists with guys like Leonard Williams because he can move laterally. He's very, very quick. His three-cone was a 7-11, which is 70th percentile, which is pretty solid kind of stuff, and he also had 26 reps on the bench with 33 and one-fourth inch arms. That's 72nd percentile for the bench press, so I really love what I ended up seeing from Ellerson Smith from a pro day standpoint and from everything he saw at the senior bowl. So when the Giants selected him, I clapped my hands. It's at a position of need. And I really think that Patrick Graham can employ this guy in a really, really unique manner. And I don't even think he's touched his upside. Let's remember here, didn't play football in 2020. If he went out there and even at the FCS level, if he balled out, this guy would have probably been a second round pick. But since he didn't play in 2020, and it's a little bit more of an unknown, although the Giants and a lot of teams were able to talk with him at the Senior Bowl, he slid to day three, and I think this was excellent value to land this player. Now let's move on to the next pick. Giants didn't have a fifth-round pick. The one that they got in the trade, they ended up trading to move up a couple spots to select Aaron Robinson. So in the sixth round, at pick 196, they went with Gary Brightwell, Arizona running back, and I didn't watch a lot of Gary Brightwell before this draft. If I'm going to be honest, I've dove into a couple games of his from what I could find online, and he seems like a running back that is physical, comes downhill well, has some acceleration and some burst. If you watch some of his highlights, you're like, wow, he really hits the hole hard. But then when you get through some of his other tape, it doesn't seem like that's an overly consistent trait that you see. But I really love the guy's ability to juke and the guy's ability to have one cut. There are some plays where he makes a couple of players just look absolutely silly just by putting his outside foot in the ground and juking back inside and making players miss. I think his vision is adequate. I think his play strength is 
adequate to the fact that he's 218 pounds i feel like he could have better contact balance and better finishing ability now some of his highlight plays you can see him run through people but again i don't think it's overly consistent and the thing i really don't like about him is his lack of effectiveness and ability as a pass catcher and as a pass blocker has the frame to be a really good pass blocker but you see him get blown up sometimes and that's a problem to say the least. And then he also has five drops, and he really didn't have that many targets to begin with. They didn't really use him all that often as a as a pass catcher at the University of Arizona. And he never had more than, I think, 95 carries in a season. And this year, he was all Pac-12, ended up starting all five games for the Wildcats. But this was one pick that made me scratch my head a little bit, but I thought about it a little bit more. And I think this is going to be a pure one of those pure special teams type of selections here because you don't really draft a lot of players to be you know first and second down backs when you have Devontae Booker and Saquon Barkley on your roster although Saquon Barkley has improvement to stay healthy but I think Brightwell when you look at his special teams past he has a lot a lot of snaps playing special teams and he also had seven tackles in coverage which doesn't sound like a lot but that actually kind of is because a lot of kickoffs go out of the back of the end zone or touchbacks and a lot of punts are fair caught or kick that about so seven tackles actually isn't that bad from someone like Gary Brightwell so I think he's not a lock to make the roster but he's somebody who can compete and possibly earn a role because of his special teams upside and because he could show some of those endearing traits that I think the Giants do like if he continues to show that through camp that physicality that he does bring that downhill type of running style that ability to lower your shoulder and embrace contact which you do see on his tape let alone that one cut ability in those jukes yes he doesn't have the breakaway speed he's not overly fast he has a little bit of burst that you see but I don't think it's overly consistent but I think if he just embraces that ability to just take on contact the Giants could possibly find a place for him on the roster if his special teams ability supersedes some of these other players that they have on the roster right now the very least he'll end up being relegated to the practice squad and then a couple picks later the Giants went with Oklahoma State cornerback Rodarius Williams who I talked about a little bit before he's Greedy Williams older brother I think Rodarius Williams has really good coverage skills linearly and what I mean by that is once you start breaking horizontally He's a little bit high cut in the hips, and I don't believe his transitions are all that great. But this is another cornerback who played a lot of press. And in the NFL against or against wide receivers who have really diverse release packages, I think that he may be susceptible to be getting stacked if he isn't really mining his P's and Q's because he has to be patient at the line of scrimmage. He has to wait for the route to be declared, and then he has to commit and ride and use that physicality, which he did solidly at Oklahoma State. But if he isn't disciplined at the line of scrimmage and he doesn't land the jam if he is actually going with the jam again press is an alignment jam is an action those two things usually get misconstrued but if he does go to jam and he doesn't land it he really may put himself into a susceptible position to get stacked because he's not as fluid as guys like Aaron Robinson in the hips his transitions aren't really like that but linearly I like him athletically because he does a good job staying in phase on those nine routes on routes that are more linear based and not as relying on change of direction on 90 degree cuts and stuff like that but he stays in the hip pocket on those vertical routes and on those more vertically based routes and does a good job getting his head around and getting into the catch point playing through the catch point using physicality getting his inside arm up to knock the pass away while using that other arm to feel the wide receiver while staying in his hip pocket and not giving a lot of room so I did see a lot of quality tape from the tape I've seen and I still have to dive a little bit deeper into him I actually have a couple game films I'm about to get into over Darius Williams and I'm actually excited about that because I like the physical nature he brought to the catch point and I love 
love, love, love his ability to tackle. That's another thing that I like, okay? You have to be aggressive. He did not have a missed tackle in 2020. He did not surrender a touchdown in 2020. And that's in the Big 12 where offense is everything. So I think there are some qualities that could lead Rodarius Williams to being maybe the last cornerback to crack this roster. He's going to be fighting for roster spots with guys like Isaac Yidem and Sam Beal, but I don't really think Sam Beal's going to make the team after opting out last year, but anything can happen. So he's going to be fighting with roster spots for those guys. And obviously, just like Gary Brightwell, I think this is another guy who can come in and play special teams well, uses long frame to his advantage, has a lot of experience playing special teams at Oklahoma State. So we'll see if he cracks the roster. Worst comes to worst, he'll end up being a practice squad guy as well. But this is the Giants draft. I wanted to briefly go over it before we dive deeper into these other teams draft and just the draft as a whole and really go over to the NFC East and what these other teams did. The football team, the Eagles, Dallas, what did they end up doing? We're going to get into that in the coming weeks. But this is my quick synopsis right after day three of the NFL draft. Hope you guys enjoyed this. Please rate, subscribe, and review this podcast wherever you get podcasts and check out all the great work we have over at Big Blue View with Ed Valentine, Chris Flum, Joe DeLeon, and the crew. And please download the Chris and Joe show as well as Valentine's Views and I'll be joining Chris and Joe every week to break down what's going on around the league as it pertains to the New York football Giants. So I am Nicholas Flotto. I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast, and I hope you all have a lovely, lovely day. Let's go Giants. Great draft, and we'll see what the 2021 season unfolds for this big blue wrecking crew. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.